Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, where we take a look at movies off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris. I am your host, joined as ever by my co-host, Andrew. Good evening. How are you? Good evening, my friend. I am well. And joining us this episode is Kyle. Sir, would you like to introduce yourself very briefly? Absolutely. I am Kyle. I am a up-and-coming cinematographer, and I am also a huge film fanatic. Awesome. So, this week we are tackling Brian De Palma's 1981 thriller, Blowout. Blowout was um, conceived after Dress to Kill. Uh, Brian De Palma was considering a bunch of different projects, including something called Act of Vengeance, which became a HBO movie. Uh, Flashdance, which he did not direct, and a script of his own entitled Personal Effects, which was basically Blowout, um, but set in Canada. Blowout deals with a audio engineer who works for a, a schlocky movie company, B-Movie Horror, who, while out recording natural sound effects, um records audioly a car accident that leads to a murder conspiracy uh, involving a politician. John Travolta is the protagonist, and he portrays Jack Terry. Nancy Allen portrays Sally Bedina, a woman involved in the car accident slash murder. John Lithgow is the Liberty Bell killer, and Dennis Franz portrays uh, the character of Sally's accomplice um, in blackmailing uh, people that will be uncovered throughout the course of the film, which we will discuss later on. The movie was written to be set in and was shot in Philadelphia, which is Brian De Palma's hometown, with a $9 million budget. Another $9 million was put aside to market the film. It opened up on July 24, 1981 to very high critical acclaim, but not so much uh, audiences going out to see the movie, and the film only grossed $13.8 million in the box office. The cinematographer on the film was Vilmos Zezogmund, I'm probably butchering that name. The editor was Paul Hirsch. The composer was Pino Donaggio. And reshoots were handled by Laszlo Kovacis um, because Vilmos was unable to um, participate in the reshoots because he was working on a different project. And um, the reshoots were necessary because several reels of the movie were stolen from the editing place where the movie was being put together in post-production. And this movie very much is a movie for film makers who are also film lovers. And I think that's why it didn't catch on so much with the mainstream audience. But we'll get into that 
when um, discussing the movie. So let me uh, open up the conversation to um, uh, initial um, uh, responses to a blowout. And uh, Brian, I guess Brian De Palma in general, or uh, specifically early Brian De Palma. Can you start off? Okay. Yeah, so um, first off, I love this movie. <clears throat> I love everything about this movie. This, um, Even from the very beginning of this movie, they got uh, this uh, speedometer moving, you know, to start it off with. Um, so uh, this movie uh, has a lot of similarities to uh, uh, Blow Up uh, as far as... Uh, The feel to this movie, it's very Hitchcockian, and, um, you know, it's hard to not say this is a John Travolta movie, because everything this guy plays in, it's very, it just has that John, like, he just steals the show in this, and, um, I gotta say, he's probably, uh, this is, this is probably one of his best roles as far as acting, um, I love his other work with, um, uh, in Flashdance and everything, but, um, <clears throat> He's not in Flashdance. Not, not Flashdance. Oh, Saturday okay. Night Sorry. Fever. Staying alive. Stay, no, 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 no. Staying alive. Staying alive. Uh, sat, yeah, no, no. I was thinking of Staying Alive when he uh, he plays this uh, character that's... Dancer. Yeah, it's, he's a dancer uh, trying to make it in uh, uh, to become... On Broadway. Yeah, Broadway dancer, yep. Um, but, yeah, this, this movie has uh, very, very much a... Uh, it just it reminds it's so Hitchcockian and so uh, um, like uh, uh, it, it's got like a Halloween vibeish to it too. Like uh, in the beginning, I love movies that have to deal with like movies inside of movies. You know, I I really thought this movie was gonna be bad in the beginning because um, I saw like you know it shows like the very cheap, low budget '70s feel, and then um, yeah, it just had that really. <laughs> budget feel to it in the beginning but um yeah no this, this movie actually inspired me to uh want to actually get more into film because i had no idea um sound editing was so important until i saw this um yeah like uh it, it, it definitely but like you just said it, it definitely has an appeal to more people who are into actual film so, so let me let me riff on this. Like the whole idea of him being a sound editor is is interesting, especially since uh, in Blow Up, uh, Antonio's Blow Up from nineteen sixty six, it's a it's a photographer, so it's a cameraman, yeah. who's who's zooming in on. But it, what 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 really the real the real hook for me in it is that this this person is going out into nature to, in both cases, in both movies, to either photograph nature or to record the audio of nature, the wind blowing through the trees. I mean, these moments uh, in the movie, in both movies, are, are particularly um, engrossing and, like, really reel you in. But then what comes out of that, what comes out of that, going, like, almost a return to nature, turns into the most twisted little tale and mystery that starts unfolding that's recorded on the device that was initially used to go out into nature so so it it's it's a it's a real um it's a real mind 
I'm just gonna say it. It's a real mind fuck. Like, it is. like they, yeah. they, you know, and it, each each character, John Travolta, John Travolta's character is very much at peace in that moment where he's recording everything out there in the night, you know, out in the trees, uh, and then it it actually turns into his worst nightmare that he becomes completely enfolded in. By the end of the movie, he's um, he is very much worse for the wear. Uh, and he's he's nothing's changed about his life. He's still doing the same thing, um, but now he has this this traumatic event that happened to him that he he can't really even share with anybody anymore. No. Um, yeah. Uh, let's just backtrack and quickly do. I didn't do a very good job of uh, plot synopsis. So uh, John Travolta. Uh, the film opens, and we're we're showing a killer's point of view and what is ostensibly a B 80s horror slasher we're treated to one of many long um and elaborate tracking shots which uh Brian De Palma is pretty much the master of choreographing all these different camera moves to match up with where the actors are going to be it's just amazing but then we're given um one of the few brief um moments of uh, levity and humor in the movie is um, the killer uh, approaches a woman in the shower to stab her, a la Psycho, and she lets out with a, like, ah! It's, <laughs> it's so, a very, a pathetic, pathetic squeal, and we cut to the director of the movie and John Travolta just laughing at how bad this is. And, uh... Yeah, the guy's like, I've heard all these sound effects before. So John Travolta is like taking it like some inspiration, and um, we are uh, we we're given some split screen of uh, some political dudes going on in the background about a politician named uh, McRyan, I believe his name is, or McRyan, McRyan. His name is um, who's um, who's leading the polls um, in his um. Pretty much, like the the newscast says that if if the election was held tomorrow, that he would be the next president elect. Uh, so he's a, a prominent up and coming politician, and um, John Travolta then is out recording nature. There's an owl hooting, and um, there's a couple that notice him on the bridge, and he like he you know you you you're given like a little background to what he does. He's moving the microphone around to record different sounds. And then all of a sudden, a car uh, just goes off. Like, he hears a loud bang. Well, actually, it's, it turns out to be two loud bangs. It turns out to be a gunshot and the tire blowing out. And this car just careens off the bridge into the into the water. He jumps in, and after a couple attempts, finally is able to free the female inside of the car. But the male that is inside of the car has already passed away. Um, he takes her to the hospital and it turns out that she's a, uh, how do we put this? A woman of the night, a female companion. Um, she's a prostitute, uh, basically a prostitute, uh, basically she's a pretty low rent prostitute too. Yeah. Kind of a, kind of a flaky prostitute. And this will, uh, lead to one of my my only criticisms of the movie is I do not like the voice that Nancy Allen does in this movie. God, I was just going to go on a rant about this because you know what? She has this very much annoying sound to her. And I don't know if it's it was intentional, but 
something about the way she acts in certain scenes too it's almost like she's not even real like it, it has a feeling of like okay well you, this guy just saved your life clearly and maybe because she was subdued on the drugs that they gave her in the, in the first half of you know when she's waking up in bed or whatever but it's like how like how are you like gonna act like that and like you just knew you know in the car with you just died i mean I was expecting more of a dramatic reaction. That's her fault. But I think she was directed that, that way. You think I, so? I, yeah. I love, I love her in this. She was my favorite thing about this movie. Really? <laughs> we will discuss that more. We can okay. go into Nancy Allen. We can go into okay. Nancy Allen. Okay. Um, but go ahead, Chris, with what you were doing. Um, so uh, at the hospital, John Travolta finds out that uh, the person in the car was uh, this up-and-coming politician, and um, it's uh, immediately apparent to him that uh, something's going on here. They're trying to kind of uh, keep it very hush-hush, and um, they don't want any mention of the girl in the car, and they just want to say that it was an accident, and that uh, this guy, I guess they're saying that he had a little too much to drink, and his tire blew out, Uh, but it turns out to be a conspiracy um, uh, headed up by... I don't think we're actually given, like, an answer to who exactly is in charge of the conspiracy, but they had hired John Lithgow to just just take pictures. They wanted to um, kind of uh, frame and blackmail the the politician and get him off of uh, the ballots. Um, They didn't want to actually kill anyone and uh so what happens is that over the course of uh his own personal investigation uh john travolta puts together uh his audio of the accident where he you know he can hear the gunshot and then the blowout and uh pictures that were taken by uh dennis france's character and he enwraps this whole conspiracy of was not an accident. This was intentional, and that it was actually a homicide. Uh, any anyone want to talk about the the plot anymore, or should we get into some of the uh, the technical stuff or performances? Uh, so, okay. So is John Lithgow blowing out the tire on by his own accord? He took it upon himself to actually murder. Yes, he did. In the car and have them have an accident. Yes. Uh, that was his own. I mean, he's, not following, he's not following instruction for a hired assassin by the government. No. He's certainly not following instruction. It's all revealed through that phone call. The gentleman on the other line that at the end says, we, hire, we, we hired you to take some pictures. John Lithgow goes into this speech about how this was his plan and the the guy's like yeah we heard your plan we we shot your plan down we didn't want to do that we decided to go with this other plan of just blackmail and john lithgow basically says well i i exceeded my own authority and decided that this is this is what needed to be done that's crazy yeah that's a crazy plot device i'm sorry I mean, maybe if you're a lone person hiring someone, you know, that you don't know the score, but when you're in the government network, you're not, you know, even if you're going rogue, like, you, that's, you're just, yeesh, that's hiring a total psycho to do your dirty work. Okay. All right. I just want to point that out. 
as brilliantly played by John Lithgow. Who is um um He's, his performances are always good. I, I love Yeah, he's uh collaborated with uh De Palma uh, uh several times. So I, I, I guess kinda call him kinda rapish guy. Uh, Dennis Franz's character, yeah. Which guy is Dennis Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz, yep. Is that the guy uh, who was who is basically He's the guy in the dirty old um he's got like a a, a wife beater. It's got like Yeah. Kinda like rod on it. Yeah. He took he, he caught it on camera while John Travolta was catching it on, on set. Yes, yes. And Okay. Uh um his name is other work too much too much of his work before but um i gotta say he gives a a very good performance as far as uh um being very uh dirty and, and not a not likable character in the sense of like making you feel like wow this guy is just a damn scumbag <laughs> like um yeah he's, out of all the characters i gotta admit he's uh, i think one of my most hated characters <laughs> I liked okay, so 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 I'm sorry to bash that plot device earlier. Um, I have I have issues I think with the the conceptual base foundation of this movie, and we can we can talk about that more. Uh, but but I do want to get into just kind of like the whole sleaze factor of this flick. Uh, the it, I remember seeing it I remember seeing it for the first time in the 1980s when I was in high school. And, I had a really tricked out uh, entertainment system with, that was hooked up to my Onkyo stereo. So I that's when I saw this movie for the first time. And I think the last time until just, you know, last night. Uh, and so I was blown away. I was blown away very much by the cinem- by the filmmaking aspect of it. It is really kind of a tour de force of Brian De Palma. I feel like in a lot of ways with that in mind that he's also just kind of flexing his muscles a lot he's definitely at the forefront of movie making at this time uh, during this time late 70s early 80s when did he do Scarface Kyle was uh, it like was 1970 let me, let me just double check yeah, Scarface was after this it was 80, uh, 83 83 or 84 oh, 83. 83 no you're actually actually Wow! Yeah. I haven't done Scarface yet. Wow! The movie has a 70s vibe to it. That's why I always think it's from the 70s. But yeah, it's it 83. It does. And you know what? It's It, it uses Philadelphia beautifully. I mm. went to college like one or two years after I saw this movie. And I went to college in Philadelphia. I went to Temple University. And I remembered when I got there, my only real understanding of Philadelphia was from this movie. Uh, because it really utilized a lot of the locations very, very well in that city, all over the place. And the movie was uh, filmed, uh, not, I know we're talking about another one, but yeah, Scarface is another one that uh, I always forget that every time they film a movie, you don't know where the locations really are. I really thought this was in Florida. Like, you thought what was in uh, Florida? Uh, Scarface. You thought Scarface was in Florida? Where is Scarface? It, is it, it like I, in Cuba? It was actually filmed in uh, California. Most Where is it supposed to take place? Miami. Uh, Florida. <laughs> oh, so we... Okay, well... Miami, yeah, Florida, yeah. I mean, you know, you can make California... Yeah. Like no, they did a good job, though, with it, like, I gotta say, like... Well, well you know, is the best cinematographer for Blow... for Blowout, um... Yeah. Has worked with De Palma a lot, I take it? Did you say that earlier, Chris? Yes, he's worked... He's the guy with the weird name. Yeah. 
uh, right. Vilmos Ziskmond. Vilmos Ziskmond, yes. Okay. He, he did a, a movie I did see, but I just very much remember it. McCobb and Miss Miller, he did a... He was a cinematographer for that one. McCabe, I think it's McCabe and Miss Miller. Miss Miller, is, yes. With Justin Hoffman Western. and Julie Christie? With um, Justin, Justin Hoffman and Julie Christie? Um, well, Shelley Duvall's in it. Um, I remember... Uh, I forgot the other... Who, what's... Who, uh, What's oh man, we're going we're going off on a tangent. Yeah. Let's um let's okay. we'll get into that another time. Let's let's yes. talk about let's talk about blowouts. So well, um I'm trying to think where I was going with this, but but okay. So basically my my thing is like I feel like De Palma was kind of flexing his muscles and, and making um a movie that was, you know, very romantic but at the same time quirky and funny and a mystery intrigue. Uh, just really, you know, trying to create this huge um, buffet of a movie, and and uh, I think I th I think he did a good job, but I I kind of feel this way about Body Double as well that it, that it's kind of like we're just seeing De Palma, De Palma, De Palma, De Palma doing his stuff uh, with his like twenty minute sequences. So I don't know. That I just I just I'm just throwing that out there. Go ahead, you guys. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, Brian De Palma, I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, uh, uh, you, you said it was Body Double? Yeah. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen um, some, some of those his films. So, uh, so yeah, one of the this, things, yeah, continue. one of the themes that uh, De Palma uh, frequently uses, especially in his earlier work, is uh, voyeurism. And uh, voyeurism is um, used in this movie uh, as well as his movies um, Sisters, Dressed to Kill, and Body, Body Double all feature voyeurism to a certain extent. Um, and this movie is very, as mentioned earlier, um, very reminiscent of uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's Blow Up. Um, it's also very similar to Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, and um, it also evokes um, some uh, typical government conspiracies, such as the JFK assassination, uh, the Watergate scandal, and uh, the Chappaquidna incident, in which one of the, uh, the Kennedys um, uh, lost a girl off his boat somehow. <laughs> um, and it also um, harkens kind of, and they mentioned it actually in the movie that um, it's very similar to the Zapruder film of the JFK assassination, except that uh, Travolta's got the audio only. And um, I, I, one of the cops makes a very interesting uh, a comment. He says to Travolta, so you're an ear witness to a murder, which uh, it's a, oh, wow. a pretty yeah. pretty uh, interesting line of dialogue, and uh, so it's very it's interesting that De Palma is very much taking aspects of Hitchcock and also yeah, of that, of uh, also of Italian giallo films, uh, which are uh, 
uh, horror movies from but 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 feature very um colorful and very explicit uh acts of violence in it um most notably uh Dario Argento is is kind of the godfather of Italian giallo films um and it, it's very apparent that De Palma was influenced by those um especially with in this particular movie killings uh, that John Lithgow executes uh, later on in the movie when he he thinks he's killing Nancy Allen's character, but uh, he ends up inadvertently killing the wrong uh, woman a couple times actually. But those those murder sequences with uh, like the the gloved hand with the the knife raised or the ice pick raised are very reminiscent Dario Argento. And uh, De Palma uh, very often uh, pays homage to Hitchcock uh, in, in his movies. And he does so here, uh, especially in the opening scene, which uh, is basically an 80s schlock version of the shower scene in Psycho. I was, hold on, I just want to say, like, Kyle, like, rem- you just recently saw Vertigo with Jimmy Stewart. Yes, I was just going to actually add to that um the movie uh below actually like like i i saw an interview before um earlier today actually uh he was uh brian de palma actually said it um i believe it was the dick cavett show he was talking about like how much he in all of his career you know alfred hitchcock just in terms of writing um uh he loves the way he builds suspense and he knows how to like bring out the um the, the characters as far as um you know, um, you like leaving you in complete awe. Like throughout, throughout blowout, you know, there's scenes like you know when the scene when they show, like there's a tracking device going. Like you, you like okay, there's camera on and it shows like he's being recorded, um, in his apartment. Um, you know, scenes just scenes like that alone. It, it's it's very much like a um, uh, well going back to Vertigo, like uh, it, it leaves you like all right, what's what's gonna happen? You know what's gonna happen next? Like the woman who's near the um, the edge of the uh, the lake, she tries to commit suicide. It, it, you don't you don't really know what's gonna happen. In other words, um, in this movie, it really keeps you like, all right, is he being stalked? Is like who's behind this? Like, it, the movie keeps you very much um, thinking throughout. That's what I love about um, uh, Brian De Palma because you know he he's actually very interested in uh, Hitchcock's work. Being placed into a I mean, you're you're already doing that when you're watching the movie. Yeah. And then when you know, and then when the movie itself um, says, "Okay, now you are a voyeur," and you know, a voyeur, there's there is a taboo element to being a voyeur. You're not really supposed. You're you're watching something. If you're watching a person or people, they're acting as if they're uh, not being watched. That they're actually in private. So you know, there's this element of invasive element that the movie now puts the viewer into. So you're you're you know, you're kind of choosing to be on this illicit little ride when when you're watching a film that does that to you. So yeah, Hitchcock did it really, really, really well. And De Palma is is taking on, you know, that task by doing it as well. And Antonioni did it brilliantly with Blow Up. Um, Very similar. Yeah, I, that was Yeah, I 
there were moments in Blow Up and in Blow Out where I was like, I, I don't, I, I, don't, I shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it makes you feel like like you wanna you wanna compare the two a lot and like like me, I I always I'm the type of person. All right, like what what movie was better in in terms of like story, camera work, like because I because there are movies that still stack up, you know, that are from an older generation that like like for me like um the older um uh the older scarface um by howard hawks is like a good example like um you know it, it's an older movie but you know sometimes writing and story and you know uh it it does beat like well, newer mo- movies later yeah, on i mean um, you, you sometimes Depends on who it is. Like some some I'm, movies I'm are well old school. I always prefer the the older stuff. Chris will tell you that, and I think we've talked about this. So you, yeah, yeah you should. I'm I'm always going to be going for the the older stuff, the throwback. But I wanted to, in terms of story, yeah. Real quick, I wanted to point out Vertigo to you, Kyle, because we were talking about it, and I know you've seen Vertigo recently. Yeah. But De Palma De Palma uses the same device in Blowout in terms of the lead character having a huge guilt complex about something that happened earlier in his in his career in his life and with jimmy stewart i believe in vertigo he loses um his his partner on the job through his vertigo i think i think he falls to his death am i right you are very correct yes no at the big it's at the beginning he's carrying that around i think he's carrying that around with him so john travolta yes yes so John Travolta was basically because of his, you know, not completely thought through wiring of that guy, undercover cop in in Blowout uh, that we flash back to, who ends up dying, you know, being killed uh, because of, you know, indirectly because of John Travolta, you know. So he's carrying that around with him, and he quit the he quit the force. He quit working on the beat and is now working for basically softcore porn doing sound. So, so he went from like wiring undercover cops to doing sound for you know softcore porn. But we're basically. But yeah. this, but this gives uh, Travolta's character Jack Terry. Th- this gives his character good motivation for wanting to solve this murder, because I I think that if Travolta, if we hadn't gotten the scene of where the failed uh, wiring of the undercover cop that led to the the mafia hanging, you know, we're given a reason to why he wants to kind of right this wrong from his past, which gives his character motivation because I think in lesser hands with a a similar premise, but not such a intelligent director and writer, uh, there wouldn't be that that motivation for wanting to solve this murder. I think that De Palma handles it so well, um, and it shows his obsession with... um, Wanting to solve this murder, putting, you know, literally cutting out photographs to make like a flip book and then kind of animate the the uh, the crash and then adding his audio. We 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 know why he wants so badly to be believed and to do the right thing in this situation because he has that guilt. So I I think that works very well in the movie's uh in the in the strength department of the movie, I think what loses a lot of the a, a lot of audience members 
are the scenes of like the technical aspects of making a movie. I, I, I think a lot of mainstream audiences don't really care about, uh, um, to use a cliche phrase, I don't care how the sausage is made. I just like the sausage. And this movie is half half sausage and half how the sausage is made. And I think that's why um, a mainstream audience didn't really flock to it. But I think that's why it's getting... It has the recognition that it does as a as a as a cult classic, um, because certain members of the audience do want to see how the sausage is made, and they do like these scenes of of Travolta marking the tape where it needs to be cut and spliced, and those scenes to me, I think De Palma does a great job of filming them. They're shot, they're shot great, and I find them interesting. But I can understand why another audience member or, or half the audience with me would they, wouldn't they care. Find it, yeah, yeah. Like, um, that's a good example too, because um, you know, people today in general, like you know, movies today are just fast paced. They're they're no more like really down to sit for a, like a story like if you go to any movie there you know people just feel like they're just there to pay for a seat to sit down for two hours um so yeah uh blowout as far as if you're a singer you know you could definitely appreciate what the palma has done with um you know in, in terms of uh visuals and and pacing and good uh character development storytelling and all that i mean it, it is great because we get to see we get to see travolta's um, which I consider his best performance um, out of all of his movies. Um, also, I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, Tarantino actually, uh, this was one of the movies that really made him decide uh, that he wanted him to play his, his character in Pulp Fiction. Really? Yeah. This was uh, the movie that basically uh, got Quentin Tarantino to be like, you know what, let me give this guy another shot and you know, this was during the time when Travolta's days were kind of like he wasn't getting much work. He wasn't getting he was much. He was doing talking uh, baby movies. Yeah, 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 he wasn't really. No, yeah. he wasn't doing that in '81. That was later. Um, <laughs> well, he wasn't. He wasn't really getting. No, no, too much I'm talking about in the in the good. in the early '90s. Travolta's career was on the decline, and he was doing the "Look Who's Talking" movies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and uh, he just, um, you know, a, a lot of people, uh, from what Quentin was saying, was saying that, you know, uh, uh, like a lot of directors, they didn't want to give him too many work. They couldn't, because they, they just saw him as the guy from the Grease guy, you know, the dancer, the, they thought that era was just done and he was, uh, but, you know, it, it's so amazing that Quentin sought out this movie and could tell, like, this is, he can really, he, I feel like Travolta is actually one of the top. One of my, well, to me, he's one of my favorite actors, but, you know, he's definitely, he's definitely up there as far as one of the greatest actors. He has a natural... What? Uh, oh, no, he's not one of the greatest One of them. Uh, to me, I mean, he's... I mean, this performance, I gotta say, this one, I, I feel like... I, what's that called when you're, uh, um... There's a name for it. It's a type of... A tour, a tour de force. Yeah, I guess you could put it that way. But, um... I mean, of course, there's always the Nero's, there's always this, the Al Pacino's or whatever, or, you know, there's always some big, better, uh, there's always going to be great actors, I don't know, I just think he's, 
to me, he's, he's one of my favorite actors, but... <laughs> um, but he's a Scientologist. You can't trust him. <laughs> What's that movie? Is it Battleship Earth? Um, I never... Oh, wait. Are you talking about the one that's based on... It's of the, Battlefield Earth. Scientology novel. Battlefield Earth. Okay, I'm thinking of the game, the test game, where you shoot the Jeff's battleship. I'm thinking about <laughs> uh, Yeah, Kyle, you've, you've caught... Like, I haven't... I haven't had, like, critical stuff, like, over-critical stuff to say about a movie until this one on the podcast, so I apologize that I'm going to be doing... I love everyone's opinion, like, even if, even if, I like, I just like the insight, like, I've had people actually change my mind over the years of, like, because they make their points. I'm not setting out to do that. No, I know. No, I know, I just, I love hearing another person's point of view, too. One of my my problems with Blowout, as I said, when I originally saw it back in the 80s, it, it blew me away. The music had a lot to do with it and the way De Palma sets up his sequences. I do like De Palma. I'm a big fan of Carrie. I love, I think that is like, like a genius flick. Yeah, it really is. I mean, but um, certain times, like, I do think that, like, I feel like I'm reminded that I'm watching a movie. That's my deal. Like, I'm reminded that I'm watching a movie. Like, it's slipping into um, a very all of a sudden we're in a very romantic scene and I hear the saxophone playing and the mute and the lighting has gotten really soft and a lot of deten- attention and money is being spent uh, on this scene and I'm I'm into it but but I I I'm swept up I'm swept up in a almost intellectual way where I'm like okay I'm recognizing that all of a sudden um, I'm immersed in this uh, this experience that's that's catering to my senses and i know i'm being kind of abstract by saying that but um, he's such a good filmmaker that he he maybe we were talking about david lynch and dune and david lynch in general working better when he has constraints on himself i would almost venture to say that about De Palma. um oh no no i gotta disagree with you there okay go on okay I think it's a it's a tale of two De Palmas. I would say early De Palma is genius. Later De Palma is oh, it's just like this guy. It's like what happened. So what, his last movie was. So what is blowout? Is blowout early De Palma? Absolutely. Yes. I up until up until I would say up until the the late eighties, early nineties. Um, but. Something's something. Untouchables is really good. Untouchables is excellent. That's eighties. I'm talking. I'm talking like after the nineties. Yeah. Uh, his. His. He was actually put under way too much constraint when he did the one of the mission. Did he do the first? He did. Yes. He did the first Mission Impossible. Yeah. Another Scientologist. Under too many constraints. Right. The Battle of the Scientologists. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> Mission Impossible. <laughs> I actually, I actually enjoy the first Mission Impossible for what it is. Um, I think it's probably my. I would say it's the last really good De Palma movie that he's that he's come out with. It was in many ways. It was in many ways taken away from De Palma. 
pretty much by Tom Tom Cruise, who I think was fronting the money for it. But you know, so I kind of good mm-hmm. for not seeing that either. <laughs> I haven't seen the the first. Can, the ones I've seen, uh, I think. Can, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, when yes. when does the Palma? When, so, getting back on track, though, when did De Palma turn into the second De Palma later later half of his career? I would say Mission Impossible. Because okay, there you have it. Um, I uh, because I think if you show someone dressed as someone body double, if you show someone blowout, if you show someone sisters, they're gonna know that it's a Brian De Palma movie. You show them the Mission Impossible. You show them the first Mission Impossible movie that could have been directed by anyone. Right. Right. He's lo- his. It doesn't, it doesn't have any of those sequences. He's known for really setting up and storyboarding basically a twenty-minute sequence, and he'll do like two or three in a movie, you know. Um, and that's his stamp of you know, this is mine. That that's totally out of his mind and his imagination. And that's where he's like Hitchcock. Hitchcock, I'm sure, did the same thing too. Absolutely, and uh, I, for whatever reason, I think I think actually what what happened was uh, I would say the downfall of De Palma was the bonfire of the vanities. <laughs> that was the downfall of of cinema. <laughs> I actually saw a review on that, and yeah, that it's a lot of people actually it has. It has an incredible. I remember when that came out. It was a notorious. It was a notorious flop immediately. So, immediately. I I think we've ragged on what happened to De Palma enough. Let's 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 get back into Blowout and the and 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 how his uh his genius works. So a little thing about the um, I I'm going to agree with Kyle that this is one of Travolta's uh best performances. Greatest work. Um. Nancy Allen gives a great performance, although I can't get over that voice. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, that that was definitely the way that she was directed. So um, initially, Al Pacino was considered for the role of Jack Terry. Um, oh wow! De Palma decided to go with Travolta, and Travolta lobbied for Nancy Allen to get the part of Sally. And initially, uh, De Palma didn't want to cast her because they were married at the time, and he didn't want it to see it as uh, nepotism. They were married? Yes. They divorced in 1984. John Travolta and Nancy Allen. No, De Palma. Oh, (laughs) De Palma. (laughs) Brian De Palma and Nancy Allen were married. So I did not know. Did I know that Brian De Palma and Nancy Allen were married? I don't think I knew that. That's very interesting, and that explains why she's in a lot of his movies. Okay, I get it. Um, well, he did it. He did it over and over again. He did. He didn't want to be seen as using nepotism. He blatantly. Andrew, Andrew, I have a question for you. Question, Andrew. Uh, how many movies was of uh, Brian De Palma movies was Nancy Allen in after their divorce? Zero. I'm Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> 
She actually played in uh, Carrie. Uh, uh, not Carrie. Uh, yeah, she did. What am I thinking? Of course she played. But she, but she also played in uh, RoboCop two, uh, 3. And was that De Palma directed? No, no, not at all. But I, I, com I completely just recognized her face. Yeah, she, she was not. Uh, she was in. She was in all three. She was in all three RoboCops. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Paul, Paul Verhoeven that's a, did. That's a big fat paycheck. Oh yeah, Paul Verhoeven did the first one. I'm not sure who did the uh, other two. I, I want to talk about her since we're talking about her. Let me give my spiel. I really liked her in Blowout. I thought she was the heart of the movie. I bought her character. Yeah, there's she's she she's got that. But it was funny to me that accent. Like it just cracked me up. And I saw the layers going on with her character. She doesn't really want to deal. She doesn't really want to deal with reality. And there are there are female characters like that in Blow Up as well, where they the killing the killing is brought to their you know brought to their consciousness, and they can't really deal with it. And so I saw that with her. She just wants to talk about makeup, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but then once she does start opening up, it's a good it's a good character, pretty well written. Once she starts opening up, you see that she's you know there's more to her, and that she actually understands that you know makeup in the end is superficial, and what is she really trying to do with her life? Like there's a real person there. The chemistry between her and John Travolta is is excellent too. I thought I thought it was really um, real. I'm like I bought it. You know, I'm not trying to. I mean. Go ahead. I, I kind of disagree. I, I I think she was kind of lousy. Like I, as far as a person, and like for example, you know John Travolta. You know he seemed like the type who was trying to like really get her to, to get a drink in the movie or go out with a drink. It seemed like she was trying to like push him away or something. Like I kind of got the feeling that she didn't really want anything to do with him in the movie. And I just thought the chemistry wasn't there with with her. Uh, I got I got to disagree. I gotta disagree with you and agree with Andrew. I thought they had excellent chemistry, and I think really? what you, you what you're referring to is initially she's paid off to disappear after the accident. Uh, he convinces her to stick around. That's what it was. I, I think I wasn't understanding. Yeah, that, that's what it was. She was paid off to disappear, and the, it, she's actually got. A, she's got. A, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go on. I was just gonna say their their you believe the relationship as it grows throughout the movie because their dialogue and the way they relate to one another and he kind of brings her around to understanding like that this is important we need to do the right thing here and he convinces her that you know she needs to get the original um uh, photographs the original film from her uh, uh, accomplice and i think that he his guilt uh, starts to weigh on her, and she develops her own guilt for all the blackmailing that they, you know, that she had made money on in the past. And I think that um, if they didn't have chemistry, I believe the relationship. I thought they had uh, their their chemistry grew throughout the movie. They had good chemistry from when she was disorientated in the hospital, and then you know, up until their final they. they they don't even sleep together. They have a relationship, but they don't have sex. The most they get is I think they yeah, yeah. they kiss and they kissed once in the car. But um, I I I I, I, I got to disagree with you, Kyle. I got to go with Andrew on this. I thought they had great chemistry. I I start like 
root, I started rooting for the two of them. I was like, I want you two to, you know, win out in this movie. And they, you know, they don't in the end, which makes it tragic. You know, it make, makes the movie tragic at the end. And what, what uh, a climax, too, of uh, for, for uh, the movie, yeah, too. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on just that final sequence with yeah. the parade and fireworks and everything like that. That is, there's a, once again, a lot of... I give it a good climax, though. You know, that's Brian, like, Scarface. All of his movies have some type of, like, amazing ending, you know? It's, yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But well, getting back to Nancy Allen's character, I'll drop it. Uh, there's, keep in mind, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in her head um, that we don't know about for quite a while. So she's always working it out. She's actually the, the, you know, the counterpart to Vanessa Redgrave and Blow Up. And Blow Up is played by Vanessa Redgrave, who's a very complicated actress. And you can tell that there's a lot. No, that yeah. makes sense. But De Palma decided to turn her character into basically like a, a dizzy blonde or a seemingly dizzy blonde. Okay. Uh, so, which is an interesting twist, you know. But yeah, she's got a lot going on in her mind. She's thinking to herself, like, I gotta. She's got a lot of people breathing down her neck, probably. Like, I gotta get out of town. I gotta. I can't talk about this. Um, I wasn't even supposed to be with him, and now he's dead. It's crazy how calm and collective she is. Like, for me. When I was watching it, I was just like, of course, I guess if you're in any type of business or whatever like that, but, you, like, she just, like, really, like, almost, like, her emotions were just, I'm not used to seeing uh, too many movies, some, but, you know, not all the time, of characters like her, I guess she was there, besides Blow Up, now that you put it, from what you told me, but, you know, um, it was just hard for me a little bit to kind of, like, see, um, you know, uh, I, I guess, for me, I thought she wasn't as as um, um, from but but now that you guys put it that way, I I, I guess I could kind of see where you're if coming you, from. If you're not buying the accent, then you probably aren't gonna you know bother with the rest. And that that's what it is. So, yeah, that's, and I I made a choice to buy the accent, so I I will say that much. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably what it was because I kept laughing sometimes. I was like, oh god. <laughs> she. She, it's a, it's a, it's like a stereotype, but I can't put my finger quite on like what stereotype it is. Yeah, yeah. What is this called? It's like Judy Holiday or um, Melanie Griffith and Born Yesterday or Working Girl. Or it almost sounds like Betty Boop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's. It's very cartoony. It's very cartoony. You know, in a lot of ways, it has this cartoony uh, sound to her. It made. It, it, do you want? Do you want some coffee? Do you want me to make you something yeah. to eat? <laughs> oh my god! Anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Your car went into the water. <laughs> Moving on, moving on. There's so many things to talk about. <laughs> let me let me talk about the opening sequence real quick. The opening sequence reminded me of certain scenes in John Carpenter's The Eyes of Laura Mars, starring Faye Dunaway. So I saw, I the opening sequence makes me think of John Carpenter. And did you say that too, Kyle? Um, it's very re very much Halloween. It is. Right? It's. Yeah. It's yeah. very reminiscent and, uh, of the original. Um, 
voyeuristic once again looking in windows yeah, it's it's very cool because you know that's why i love brian de palma you know he, he learns from the greats going back to hitchcock then then going to john carpenter with the you know it just really shows his love for cinema just from looking at uh different angles of the movie and you know um it's it's really it's really cool how he how he does that in this movie and in this movie in particular um but yeah, like the opening sequence, you got these eyes, you know, the, the feeling of stalking. I mean, it, it, it really did feel just like, uh, um, yeah, just like the beginning of the, uh, the clown kid killing uh, his his uh, sister. Yep, yep. And in, and in Eyes of Laura Mars, there are there are sequences almost identical to I've never seen Laura. that, to be honest. It's good. You would like it. And it's, it's, it's John Carpenter. Um, and it's it's similar actually it's similar to blow up because he, it's wrote, about, he wrote the story i don't think he didn't i don't think he, he did i think it's yeah. i think he directed it as well i think let me look it up okay i, I recognize the uh, but but just like in, just like in blow up um he the lead character she is a photographer who does fashion and she interjects violence oh wow Tommy Lee jones is in this oh yeah. wow yeah. Oh, yes, this here, Irvin Kirshner. He's the director. Okay. All right. So John Carpenter wrote it. Yeah, he wrote it in. Uh, the, well, the, I, John Peters produced. You know, so I guess I guess he had it in the screenplay. You know, to be looking into windows while half-naked girls are dancing, women are dancing in the inside their apartments. Oh but yeah. That, like, you know, that, there's there is a scene just like that. I think at the very beginning of the movie. That that reminds me of the opening sequence of uh, Blowout. Yeah, lots of nudity in the beginning, that's for sure. <laughs> like Carrie. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's 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 lots of uh, the the Palma split screen going on, the um, the split diopter lens, which is when um. A character is in the foreground, very up close to the camera, and uh, the uh, the the background. It, it, it seems it seems proportionally off. Um, I I think that if you're going back and watching the movie, you know what shots I'm talking about. Um, and then there's lots of the the, the Palma yes. long and elaborate those those long tracking shots. Um, that are just brilliant, brilliantly choreographed, and in the way that they're shot, um, the cinematographer commented that there wasn't a lot of diffusing, not a lot of flashing. That it was pretty much shot straight. There was a, it was mostly shot at night and mostly shot with natural light. I remember. Well, for no, not in the long tracking shots, but in general, um, the movie is is given a very realistic kind of uh do- almost like a documentary feel to it just with the the the, the camera with the cameras that they were using and the the natural um lighting just makes it a very interesting movie to to watch and De Palma also does something I think it's called it's either called the 180 rule or the 360 rule where you're not supposed to you're not supposed to have your camera operate in a 180 or a 360 because it'll disorientate your audience 
And there's an entire sequence in this movie where Travolta's going crazy in his little audio studio when he finds out all his tapes have been erased. That it's just the camera spinning around and around and around. Um, if you were, if you're sensitive, I could see someone getting motion sickness from something like that. From yeah, that, from that sequence. Yeah, that disoriented me. It reminded me kind of VR, the virtual reality headgear. I used to play with those a little bit. Uh, it definitely does. It can keep you your eyes like once you take it off for a while. It's like, oh shit. Yeah, that's what. You'll see. That's why those kinds of camera shots are not utilized very often in movies because they will disorientate your audience, and that's not what you want to do. But De Palma, I, I think Andrew said it was uh, flexing, flexing some muscle here and showing like he wants to do whatever he wants to do. He he's making his own rules, and and the studio backing this was a. They were anticipating a huge blockbuster, and uh, so this opened up in late July, so this was right in, like, um, summer blockbuster season, and they were anticipating a huge hit, but the audience just wasn't there. The critics the critics loved it. They It got great reviews, but, like, I, the audience... That went to see it that first weekend. I don't think they were they were recommending it to uh, to their their friends or coworkers the next week. You know, um, but I can so, see. So they put nine billion dollars of publicity into this. Is that normal for a movie during that time? That's crazy. Yeah. That sounds extreme. It was the same. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, even even with nine million dollars, I mean. It, Look, I've seen so many really bad movies, like schlocky movies that were made for like 12 million, 13 million. So I can understand. I mean, he probably went all out with like probably set stuff or like uh, maybe like closing down certain areas just to, um, you know, to to, pay, to buy out the, the lot area or something. Like he probably really used that budget for as much as he could. And even back then, that's I mean, cool. Well, are you talking about to film it? Because I'm talking about... Yeah, to film it. Oh, publicity. Chris said, Chris said, well, yeah, what, it cost $9 million to film and then another $9 million to publicize? Correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds... That sounds kind of, Well, I mean... Yeah, I wonder mean, how much money is spent on marketing. Because, you know, this movie... Um, I mean, I wasn't born for it, so, I mean... I, I don't know if they really marketed it that well, but... Well, you you're know. gonna see that you're gonna see nine million dollars of publicity. So it was on people's minds, like they were on a daily basis. Uh, they were, you know, they were seeing billboards and bus stop posters and whatnot. And I'm sure the radio and TV and and all of that. I I'm sure it got hyped up a lot. That's a lot of money for publicity. So and you can tell it's an expensive movie. Like De, De Palma mm. is being given the reins. Um, he said to her, he was talking about the old days, and he said, we were kings to her. She quoted that in an interview. Uh, so he... So, yeah, nine million was a... That was probably the highest budget he had gotten. Doing his own thing. And, you know, you expect that for something like The Terminator. Mm, yeah. No, not the first Terminator. Forget about it. I guess not. No. You're right. You're right. Uh, what would be like a really big blockbuster? I would say that that's a. I think that movie would have like. 
So the nine million was a high budget for De Palma, probably the highest that he had had since that point. Just going off the the little bit of knowledge that I have about marketing from the early eighties, I'm gonna say nine million was a uh, was a pretty high number. Um, but like I said, they had a lot of faith in this movie. They had a lot of faith in this movie, and the, term, the Terminator. Oh no, the term, the Terminator had it was actually a massive. I just looked it up. It's a uh, 80, 80 million. So uh, okay, so that would have been more. I mean, along the lines, along the lines of big blockbusters, you know, and publicizing a big blockbuster. My only point is that some it's uh, it's basically a, a, a giallo mystery movie that uh, is being made, being promoted, and being sold as a huge blockbuster along the lines of something let's say that like the terminator franchise so so this is this is it's risky you know it's risky to do that people i don't know what people exactly were expecting when they went to see blowout but to see something that's heavily based on an antonioni film um what you know it's not it's not really mass public you know oh uh, i just got a i got it ways i have you know I, I we gotta rewind. Um, I gotta correct Kyle. The budget for the first Terminator movie was less than seven million dollars. Uh, I just looked up. Ter- Wait, you were talking about the first one? Yeah. Because I was talking about the first Terminator. It says here. Here, let me go back to it. Not. Uh, it doesn't. It, right here. Oh, I'm right now. I'm at night. You know what? You're right. I, I looked at the box office. That was the box office. I'm, I I really. <laughs> The box office got seventy seventy-eight point three million. That's million. Six point four million. Let me see. Let me. It only cost six point four million. So in comparison, so in comparison, Blowout cost much more money to make and did not fare nearly as well at the box office. So Blowout in nineteen eighty-one uh, is basically. I mean, I don't know. What what was considered a blockbuster by then? Because it, E.T. would have been in 1982, and that's when the whole Spielberg oh, yeah. blockbuster franchise dominated the 80s. So, so this would still be before that. I mean, Jaws, yeah, Jaws was a huge blockbuster hit in 1975 or 76. But I'm just trying to think what was what Blowout would have been up against. Uh, and, and in my opinion, as much as as much as Blowout is a crowd-pleasing flick, or is geared to be one, um, the, 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 the inherent plot, the, the inherent concept of it, uh, is, is I think, um, uh, I don't know, it doesn't deliver as many, um, as much, as many punches as, a, as an audience would want from a blockbuster. It's something you sit down with and just kind of, it's a good, date movie if you're into an, uh, a mystery type of film. But they're taking a suggesting like where is it going? Yeah, I, I can agree with that. It also doesn't have a happy ending. The ending is awful. And uh, I and I could see I could see yeah, it's terrible. I don't I didn't I couldn't remember if she died or not and she does. Yeah, it's the terrible. way it's, And I think that's a downer. I think maybe that's why audience 
expected in the end. They changed the ending of <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors a few years later based on that similar type of ending. You it's know, a great twist, like Alfred Hitchcock, going back to that. But, like, you know, he keeps you guessing. Like, he gets, you know, John Lithgow's character. He gets the wire, and, you know, his Sally's just, like, there. And then all of a sudden the train comes by or a guy's down the, uh, across him, and then he stops. You know, he really plays with your emotions because if you're invested into Sally, you just don't want her to die. And then, you know... Uh, and, and she then, dies, and then he yeah. uses her scream yeah. for the movie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, does that does that make it a snuff film? No, I'm just no, asking. No, no, no. I mean, a snuff film. I mean, because I've seen some really graphic. Say, like, if you put a real death scream, if you dub a real death scream into, you know, a movie. I I think it's no, 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 no. It's far more egregious for poltergeists to use real skeletons than plastic ones. They yes. used real, they used real skeletons and poltergeists. Yeah. Yeah, yes. That's that's yeah. turning that that's turning it into a ritual. Now you're watching something real. That's a ritual. <laughs> you're using like real dead. It that's was crazy. It was cheaper. Yeah, I, I don't know how they how do they do that? Because like, don't they gotta get permission? Don't they have to have some type of you know permission to use someone's bones? You would think. Yeah. Maybe not. That's crazy. I don't know. But a lawsuit and a half. Okay. <laughs> probably not. You know, it's like where did we we probably don't want to keep talking about no. It. Yeah. Let's. It's like where did they get this? Where exactly did they get the skeletons? We don't need to know. Exactly. All right. <laughs> Go ahead, cause okay. yeah, yeah. So overall, uh, I love. I still love the movie. Uh, I like John Travolta's performance. I like the. I love the story, even though it's you know it's a lot more slower pace than. Today's movies, I do love to sit down and enjoy and be open-minded when a movie's going on. Um, it definitely, hopefully someone gets super inspired by this and makes something similar again, because I love this type of movie. The writing, the cinematography, uh, the movie has some great lighting too. Uh, performances, um, you know, uh, from start to finish, it leaves you... It, it leaves you like feel like feel like you watch the roller coaster. You know, not many movies I can think of, even like these big budget movies today. I don't think they can even uh, come close to uh, Brian De Palma's uh, style and all that stuff. But so overall, I would give this movie a solid nine out of ten if I were to rate this. I, I love this movie, and I always go back to it every year. I always go back to it to check it out. Wow, how many times have you seen it? I would say. Because I did see this 2000, and I believe it was 2015, and I would say maybe I lost a little bit of count. But if I were to take a smart guess, maybe 25 times, 26 times. Wow, yeah. that's like me. And I have, yeah, I have short-term wow. memory loss, so like there are. <laughs> so you forget the movie. Not that I forget the movie. <laughs> it's just that there are some scenes where I'm just like. I'm just like, uh, wait, oh yeah, that's right. You know, I'll, I'll like, I'll have to like, retrack. You know, take a little yeah, bit. Well, but that's studying it. You actually, you you love it so much that you study it. Absolutely, I I try my best. <laughs> okay, all right, right on. Um, I do wanna, I do wanna mention. Then I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna piss on this movie anymore because <laughs> it is, it is really well done. Like in terms of what Brian De Palma like. Beginning of vision to end of vision, he executed it. And you know how hard it is to film a sequence like that at the end with all those people. That's really, 
That's really, really difficult. And he did it. He without it, I was complaining about the battle sequences in Dune uh, last night, and just like um, he integrated that parade sequence into the storyline, into the finale, really well. Especially with John Travolta running through that crowd. Um, he kept it going. You don't get distracted by the, you know, long shots of extras. You're still involved with the movie, you know, and what's and the climax of the movie. Um, I also wanted to mention you guys were talking about taking your time with the uh, in- intricacies of his craft when he's setting up the audio, uh, the audio uh, machinery and whatnot, the equipment and those sequences. I I like those too, and it's. I enjoy sitting with those and everyone should kind of take a breath and enjoy sitting with those as well, in my opinion. And yeah. it reminds, you know, and he, there is the split screen as well. And I feel like if I remember correctly in Jackie Brown by Tarantino, he uses a split screen effect also when certain details, like almost minute details are being uncovered. Uh, so that's, that's, I think I'm, I think I'm getting this right. So I like the idea of a split screen kind of going over clues and uncovering uh, little details that need to yeah. be put together to fill in the gaps as you move on to the next scene. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. And there's one scene we didn't uh, we didn't cover that I, I, I have to mention before I forget. Uh, the chase sequence when he's in the car and then he's like, he's like rushing to like get Sally and he's like, you know, and then uh, that has to be one of the most wildest chase sequences. So uh, like top 10 material, like you know, he's going through a parade, he's going through fucking windows and shit, and it's just, it's so crazy, because, like, that scene actually had my heart racing. I was like, oh, man, like, is he gonna get her? Is he gonna, you know, every time I rewatch it, it feels like it, it's it's a fresh movie. Like, even though I know what's gonna happen at the end, I still felt like this movie, uh, especially at the end, it really, really made me, like, want him to hurry up and get this fucking guy, you know, um, to take him down, but... Um, but it's like he has no idea where she is. He has no idea. Yeah, where he's he got this hearing. He's got this hearing piece. He could hear it, but he just knows it's just a really difficult situation. You know, it's 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 wild. It's wild. The way that this movie and and Blow Up as well uses technology, um, the way that it enters our lives, then we become it changes our lives completely. Like so, he is actually being tortured by this kidnapping and subsequent murder um, of this girl that he really likes happening in his ear while he's trying to find them driving like a maniac. He would have killed people, by the way, driving like that. Uh, oh, really, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, uh, these, I, I keep thinking in my head as the, as the, these movies go on, you know, the plot unfolds, I'm thinking to myself, well, if you just, you know, unplugged yourself from all this technology completely, you would actually probably have a very simple, pleasant, peaceful life, you know, but henceforth, like, and it's in, and it it does have overtones of, like, the conversation with Gene Hackman, where uh, surveillance changes everything. It really, really does. Mm. So you, you, you become a voyeur, but you also become the one who's being watched, you know, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, everything there's nothing that's private anymore. Uh, it all becomes public. So anyway, um, those are just the overtones that I wanted to mention. But yeah, getting back to it, like he's 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 at a loss. He's not going to find them. It's a miracle that he does find her, but it actually it's too late when he does find them. Uh, but I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. But 
he he's uh so crazy it, we didn't it, know it breaks he, him it breaks yeah. him it breaks and him we didn't know that uh Sally was dead and upbraided cuz like you know he's he's the middle cuz he he's look he sees her him about to stab her and then he grabs her i mean his his arm and then begins to stab him but we still don't know at that moment if she was dead or not cuz it just shows him stabbing um you know the stabbing the, the murderer but we, then that's why I think it's such good storytelling because then it's like, oh shit, it, so you must have saved her, right? And then, then you just see her laying there dead and it's like, oh man. You know, it's, that, I thought that was great. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's very sad. It's yeah. very sad. Hollywood has so many happy endings that I, I think a movie needs to end the way that Blowout yeah. ends. Uh, we need movies like They're that. They're out there. Like, like newer yeah. movies. There's there's a ton still out there though like like Hereditary had a pretty messed up ending, even though that's considered supposed to it's a horror movie. But you know there's some other this this got I'm sure they're out there. You just gotta look for them. Oh yeah, there's plenty of bummer bummer endings. Uh, just yeah, I like that. We should have we should have like a bummer ending month for the podcast. Oh, the mist the mist has to be no no that that's um shit. no John Carpenter did the fog. Frank Darabont did the mist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Thank you for clearing. No problem. For clearing that up. So, um, so just anybody else have some final thoughts of the movie? Good movie. Go see it. Uh, recommend it to anybody who's into Brian De Palma. Um, I wish I've gotten to see it earlier, but maybe it's better I saw it uh, later on because you know when I at the time I was watching Scarface just for the violence when I was a kid, so I probably wouldn't even have enjoyed this movie. So I'm glad I saw it. You know, around 18, 17 years old. Around there, Andrew. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I'm I'm glad to have, have seen it again. I was I was around the same age when I saw it for the first time, 16, 17, and I and it blew me away. Uh, yeah. I'm more cynical about it now, uh, and I and I wanted, but it has made me interested in seeing some of his other films. Yeah, like I will. I want us to do Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> it's on the list. Come join us for that, Kyle. That's a crazy. So I'm just gonna wrap up. Our episode here, just a little fun fact. The movie that Dennis Franz is watching in his sleazy hotel room is Murder a la Mode, which was one of De Palma's earlier movies. Uh, he initially had wanted to use Dementia 13, which was Francis Ford Coppola's directorial debut produced by Roger Corman. But surprise, surprise, Roger Corman wanted too much money for it to be licensed. So he went with Murder a la Mode, his own movie. I would say as a huge um, De Palma fan, this is uh, this is in his top five best movies. Probably one of his most underrated movies. And for as much love as I have for this movie, I can see why it doesn't appear, uh, appeal to um, a real mainstream audience for the reasons that we had uh, discussed. Once again, we're the home of movies off, under, and ahead of the radar. I would say that this movie was ahead of the radar. That's why it's not getting the appreciation that it deserves until uh, years after its release. But 
that's kind of what makes a cult movie a cult movie and we here at the cult film companion we love us some classic to Palma. we love us some cult movies we love us some john travolta we thank you all for joining us for andrew and our guest kyle uh, my name is chris and uh, we hope you enjoyed our visit with blowout join us again next week thank you